Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. This morning we're continuing in our series on I Will Honor God. The title of the message this morning is Honor the Father. We're going to be talking about God our Father. Please enjoy. We're having a uh, message today in our series called I Will Honor God. And the First Chronicles chapter number 29 will be our text uh, today. And let's, I'll tell you what, if you have your place in First Chronicles chapter 29, go ahead and stand to your feet as we read the scripture. We begin reading in verse number 10. The Bible says, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. Thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee and thou reignest over all. In thine hand is power and might and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. The title of the message this morning is Honoring the Father. Honoring the Father. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful this morning that we can call you our Father. Lord, I pray that you would be with the message today. Lord, I pray that we would check all of the Uh, emotions we may have, we may check all of the thoughts we may have of temporal things and that we just focus on the Word of God this morning and focus on things eternal. Help us to focus on you, our Father, this morning. In Jesus Christ's precious name I pray, amen. You may be seated. My dad is quite a character. Um... Some of my dad's favorite things to say is one thing he says is when you ask him to do something, he says he's going to do it to it like Sonny Pruitt could never do it. Growing up, I asked my dad why he wasn't drafted in the army. He told me he was too mean to be drafted. He told me he was so tough he'd fight a circle saw and give it a two-round head start. He told me when I was growing up that his family was so poor that his parents couldn't afford to buy the kids clothes. But grandma come home with a hat one day where they could take turns looking out the window. Uh, my dad was raised on the Bogachita River and raised me on the Bogachita River. And, uh, you know, uh, they uh, raised me on the Bogachita River. I had one, I've told y'all some of this before, I had one swimming lesson. That one swimming lesson was... He, uh, he grabbed me by the shirt, he grabbed me by the seat of the pants, and he threw me into the Bogachita River, and that was the one and only lesson that I ever had. He was wearing, he was wearing nice clothes, and he wasn't about to come in there after me. Um, he definitely was not. And uh, so he was, uh, uh, I was, I had to come back to him, okay? Uh, for some reason, Emily wouldn't let me have this same lesson with my kids. My dad could cut a head. My dad's been cutting hair for 50 years. My dad can cut a hair with a comb and a straight razor. That's all he needs. 
Uh, my dad introduced me to many things. My dad introduced me to standing up for myself. He introduced me to the Smoky Mountains, and he introduced me to Conway Twitty. Um, I believe I have the best dad in the world. But, you know, children love to brag about their fathers. They things like, say things like, my dad is the strongest. My dad is the smartest. My dad is the bestest. And, uh, you know, it's bad English, but, you know, it's the right idea. You know, I've got the bestest dad in the whole wide world, and that's a good thing. But, you know, when I, when I think about my father, or I should say, our father which art in heaven, there is nothing else to say about that, but hallowed be thy name. It is true that words can't begin to describe the magnitude of his greatness. However, let us talk about our father. It's what David said when he said this in the scripture. Let me read, let's read these verses again and, and see what David is trying to say. Wherefore, David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. In thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. The idea that God is viewed as our father is, is one that's not loudly proclaimed in the Old Testament. It's shadowed, but it's not prominently proclaimed. It is certainly there, but it is somewhat shadowed. However, in the Old Testament, we do see that, that he is revealed as the creator through his name Elohim. He is revealed as the God of the covenant when he revealed himself as Jehovah. He's revealed as the Lord through his name Adonai. The Almighty when he is called El. The gracious giver is El Shaddai. The Lord who provides when he told us his name is Jehovah Jireh. Our banner as Jehovah Nisi. The Lord our peace when he revealed himself as Jehovah Shalom. The Lord of hosts through his name, Jehovah Sabaoth. The Lord our righteousness is Jehovah Tiskinu. The Lord who is always there is Jehovah Shammah. However, when Jesus came, Jesus began referring very often to God as the Father. He spoke of the Father personally. He spoke of Him intimately. He spoke of Him collectively. In fact, one of the first words of Jesus ever recorded in the Bible, He, was, he recognized how He was connected to the Father. Luke 2, 49, And He said unto them, How is it that ye sought Me? Wist not ye not that I must be about My Father's business? John 14, 8, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Today we honor God by speaking of Him, to Him, uh, about Him, and even for Him. And when we do this, we honor God. We can speak of Him 
just as Jesus can with intimacy, with closeness, with familiarity, and not with fearful distance. Our God is our Father. He's not an unattainable God. Yes, we are to fear God, but not fear Him to the point where we don't believe we can approach God because we have an approachable God. King David could not contain himself as it resulted to his father, nor should we. I'm going to tell you this morning, we have a Father in heaven. He is our heavenly Father. And I want to take some time this morning, and I want to talk about our Father which is in heaven. Number one this morning, I want to tell you that my Father is almighty. My Father is almighty. 2 Corinthians 6.18 And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. What kind of an almighty father do we have? What kind do we have? Um, uh, How has he displayed himself as an almighty father? Let me tell you something. One day, God stepped out. Jesus stepped out and said, let there be light. And there was light. And, and, and God separated the light from the darkness and, and God made the seas and God made the land and God made the sun, moon, and stars and God made the animals and God made the vegetation and God made everything in the universe. And you can't look at God's handiwork and not see the fingerprint of the Lord. You ever just been driving through maybe the mountains and see how majestic they are and how beautiful they are and how beautiful the sky is and how wonderful. Could you think of all the animals that God created? You understand this morning, we're still discovering animals that we didn't know existed even today. Think of the imagination and the majesty that went into the the design of the creation that we live in. How mighty is our Father? Our Father is so almighty that one day God entrusted a teenager with the fate of the nation. One day a giant stepped out. This giant stepped out and uh, it was threatening the whole nation. The king was too afraid to go face the giant. The armies and all the men in the army, they were too afraid to go face the giant. And the fate of the whole nation hung in the balance. And who did God trust? Who did God empower? A teenager. God showed his power through the fact that he took one single teenager and rescued the whole nation. That teenager stepped up and took a stone and sunk it into the head of that giant, took that giant's sword and cut his head off. Just because God could do it. One day he showed his power. An old prophet stood on a mountaintop and there were 450 prophets of Baal against him. Everybody in the whole world was against this prophet. Then it came his time to prove that his God was real. He prayed a 63-word prayer. In that 63-word prayer, fire came down from heaven and it licked up the altar and it licked up the stones and it licked up the sacrifice and it licked up the moat of water that was around it. It licked up the dirt that was under the altar and he showed that day that there is... And his name is not Baal. 
He is the source of all power. From the tiniest particle in the quantum realm to the galaxies in the universe. He is the beginning and the end of all power. Our almighty father, he cannot tire. When he uses or gives his power, he never loses any. He never has to be refreshed. He never has to be renewed. He never needs a vacation. He never takes a day off. He never grows grows tired of his needy children. He never wearies of his responsibilities. He is my God and he is my Father. He is still as powerful today as he was at creation. One day they took the Hubble Space Telescope and they stared at a spot in outer space that was the size of a dime, a football field away. In this little speck of space that they stared at, there was no discernible light. They stared at that speck of space for 11 days. They collected light from that little dime-sized piece of outer space a football field away. When they got done after 11 days, they collected all the data and inside of a little dime-sized speck of outer space where no light was, was over 10,000 galaxies. You cannot tell me that that the God that is as powerful that did that doesn't exist today because he does. He's still as powerful today as when he provided manna for Israel. Could you imagine going into your yard and picking up, you know, your your bunny bread for the day? Could you imagine that? Going out and getting some biscuits in the front yard instead of going to Walmart. Man, that'd be good in and of itself. I love you, Sam. I don't like Walmart that much. You know, that's a blessing in and of itself. He is still that powerful today. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. He is still as powerful today as when he told a leprous general to go dip in the Jordan River. Old Naaman, he thought, man, if this prophet's going to heal me, man, what's going to happen? What have to happen? What I want to happen is I want the skies to open up. I want lightning and fire to shoot down around me. I want a majestic angel to come and hand me the cure on a silver cloud. But you know what he was told to do? He was told to go jump seven times into the Jordan River. And Naaman said, what? What? You mean to tell me the dirty, smelly, filthy, muddy Jordan River? But you know what the servant said? You know, if his servant said, if he'd asked you to do something grand, you would have done it. Why not do this little thing? Naaman did it. When Naaman came out of that river, his skin was white as snow. His leprosy was gone. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. The same God that healed Naaman that long ago is the same God that we just prayed to about a child with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It's the same God. He's got the same power. Nothing has changed. He still has that power today. You can't tell me. The- 
He's still as powerful today as when he made the lame to walk, the blind to see, and the deaf to hear. He's still as powerful today when he took five loaves and two fishes and fed thousands of people. You know, I've told you all this before, but I can't help it. I love talking about this when I, when I tell that story. You know, when they got done with the biggest fish fry in the Bible and they took up 12 baskets full of filet of fish sandwiches, it was 12 baskets full. And so they thought, oh, 12 baskets, 12 apostles. Each apostle gets a basket. But, you know, I don't believe that. I believe that that little boy got the baskets. And I believe he walked home that day with six baskets on one arm and six baskets on the other. And he walked through the front door and he says, Mom, you'll never believe the day that I had. His strength pours out to you and it is not diminished. Much like the widow with the oil. She poured that oil out of the cruise and filled up pitcher after pitcher after pitcher. And the oil continued. What does this mean for you? It means that there is nothing, and I repeat, nothing that your Almighty Father can't handle in your life. Your sickness, your finances, your marital problems, your habitual sins, nothing in the history of all mankind that God can't handle. There's nothing He can't handle. Number two this morning, my father is long-suffering. Numbers 14, 18. The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Psalms 86, 15. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. He was long-suffering when Adam and Eve disobeyed him in the garden. He could have wiped them out, started over, but he loved them too much. He could have started over. Eve was deceived. Adam was not. They could have sinned, and, and God could have went in there and said, Okay, I'm done. I'm starting over fresh. Wipe this, and let's start over anew. But he didn't do that. Why? Because he was long-suffering. And he loved them. Abraham and Sarah, they laughed at the promise of a son, both of them. It's really not a good idea to laugh at a promise of God. People do it today all the time. But it's really not a good idea. But you know what? God was long-suffering, and he still blessed them. Israel rejected God over and over and over and over. The book of Judges is just a little pie slice of how much Israel rejected God for, for idols over and over. And even today, Israel has rejected God's son. But he's still their chosen people. Why? Because God made a promise and God is long-suffering. One day, one of his own denied his only begotten son and cursed him three times. Man, if that would have been anyone else, if that would have been one of us, Peter would be done. He'd be out of there. We'd put someone else in there. But our God is long-suffering. And Peter became one of the greatest pastors of the early church that ever lived. So what does this mean for you? It means that he is patient with you. And his love can never end. Even when you may have 
failed to speak his name. You remember that time? That time you were having that conversation? And as you had that conversation, inside of that conversation, you had an opportunity to speak. You had an opportunity to speak the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit told you to, but you denied it and you didn't do it. He's still patient and His love will never end. Even when we failed miserably with our temper. You know, we've tried so hard and we tried so hard to act right, and, but somebody come along and push the right buttons. They push the right buttons and, and maybe we've been trying to talk right and do right, but they push the right buttons and maybe we let the wrong words fly. Man, it takes a long time to gain a testimony and a few seconds to lose it. He is patient with us and loves us even when we may have reverted to our old fleshly ways. You know, the, uh, maybe, maybe without realizing it, we've slowly drifted back into something that, that you left behind in your old life and, and, and finally you've, you find yourself drifting back. It's okay because He's patient and His love never ends and you can come back. Maybe you did something that you said you'd never do again. You walked away from that sin, but you were weak and you failed. But He will take you back. Isaiah 65, 2, I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people which walketh in a way that was not, that, that was not good after their own thoughts. You know, let me ask you a question. How, long, how often have you wanted to help somebody who really didn't want to be helped? You ever deal with somebody like that? Trying to help somebody who really doesn't want to be helped? I deal, we deal with people like that all the time. You give them chance after chance after chance, and it seems like the more slack you give them, they just hang themselves with it. And you just want to help some, but they don't want help. It's kind of frustrating, isn't it? What's how God feels with us sometimes? He feels that frustrated with us. You know what I praise the Lord for? I praise the Lord that God doesn't solely rely on my faithfulness, but God also relies on His faithfulness because let me tell you something God is faithful the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 24 faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it 2 Thessalonians 3 3 but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil how grateful are we that God's positions toward us is based on his ability and not our ability to accomplish something that we could never accomplish let me tell you something. You can overcome anything because our ability doesn't matter. What matters is God's ability. I don't have the ability to do anything, but God does. And we don't rely on our ability. We rely on his ability. Number three, my father is righteous and just. Abraham has just found out the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's pleading with God on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah for the sake of his nephew Lot. And Abraham says, God, if you would just, just give me 50 people, if there's just 50 people righteous, would you spare them? And then before God has a chance to answer, Abraham says these words in Genesis 18:25: Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? When Abraham says do right there, he doesn't mean strict, inflexible justice. 
we think God is strict and inflexible and can't go against his word. And, but it would seem that when Abraham is saying, do the right thing, God, he's asking for a mixture of mercy with the justice. Okay? Yes, they deserve this sentence. But give them clemency. Give them leniency. Have mercy on them. So is our father never merciful? No. In fact, Abraham was able to talk God down to 10 righteous people. But it means that he is merciful and justice in a consistent way, as opposed to a human judge. A human judge isn't like that. A human judge is merciful in an arbitrary, subjective way. A human judge gives leniency at his own whim. Like in a trial... A, judge, a human judge could say one thing, but then when it comes time to do the sentencing, maybe the judge heard something and changes his or her mind and says something different. It, it's all up to the discretion of the judge. If the human judge wants to go against what he or she said in trial, they can do that. Our God doesn't have that luxury. Our God can't, our God can't do that, and there's a reason for that. The reason is because God's compassion flows out of his goodness. And goodness without justice isn't good. It isn't good. God spares us because he is good, but he could not be good if he were not just. Let me explain. Let me put it this way. What if God said today, let everybody come to heaven. From here on out, everybody gets to come to heaven. You know what that would do? That would violate his justice. You violate God's justice, he ceases to be good. But God can do both. God can be just, just and merciful. The God's, God says that he can do, do both. The Bible says in Psalms 89, 4, Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy faith. face. So he can do both. Psalms 85.10, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. So you see, our God has both mercy and justice. So let's look at some scriptures to help us with this. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this verse helps us see justice and mercy in our God. You see, sin has a price. And that price is death. Not only our physical death, but our spiritual death as well. The book of Revelation says, And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. So my, 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 my payment, my wages for this sin is physical death and spiritual death. They have a price. Justice must be met because man is not equal with God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. See, here's the glory of God, and here's me and you. One sin is enough to put us down here. Okay, one sin right down here. And all we are this far away from God. We can't, uh, this right here, this is our unrighteousness. Our unrighteousness is what separates us from God. A price must be paid for this. This area right here in between us and God, this unrighteousness, it must be paid for. 
Romans 5, 6, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So there we see justice and mercy. Justice says there's a gap in between you and God. You can't get to God. You can't get to heaven. This unrighteousness here is a gap. You can't get there. That's justice. Mercy says Jesus paid for that unrighteousness. Because of the price that Jesus paid on the cross, now when he looks at us, he doesn't see our unrighteousness anymore. He sees the righteousness of his son. And because of Jesus, now, we're, now we can get there. Now we can get to heaven. Now our sins can be forgiven. See, he is just and he is merciful. Number four this morning, my father is loving 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. However, some people may say, you know, where is God's love when I go through the storms of life? Where is it? Where is God's love when I go through the storms of life? You know, Neil deGrasse, I saw Neil deGrasse Tyson say, he said, I saw a video the other day, and he said, you know, some people say that God is good. But then you look at the world, and you see all the bad stuff going on in the world. You see all the hurricanes, and the tornadoes, and the disease, and the cancer. So what that means is one of two things. Either God is all-powerful and not good, or God is good and not all-powerful, but he can't be both. That was Neil deGrasse Tyson's human reasoning logic about God. See, here's the thing. Let me read for you Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine, and when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. You know, someone once said that you could say God loves us too much to keep us from the storms because he loves us, he will not leave us in the storm. Just because God, there's a difference in God leading you into a storm and God leading you through a storm. There's a difference in those two. They're not the same thing. Let's talk about the children of Israel in the promised land, in the promised land in the wilderness. The children of Israel were in the wilderness and that was not a comfortable thing. It was a very uncomfortable, unpleasant thing. And so God led them out of that because he loved them. But then you say, well, Brother Brett, didn't they go into the promised land and immediately start fighting another war? So he, left them, he led them from the fire into the frying pan. And you say God loves them? Well, he didn't lead them into a war. He led them through a war. And there's a difference. God is saying, look, I know a storm is coming in your life. 
And it's not that I'm just throwing this at you just because I hate you. The storm is coming, and if you want me to, I will be there to take you through the conflict and through the storm. And when the storms come in our life, you don't have to go through the storm alone. You don't have to weather the storm alone. He can take you through the fire. He can take you through the water. He can take you through the storm. Years ago, a naval officer and his wife were at sea. And the storm was getting very, very bad. And it was getting uh, rough and tumble and the wind and the rain. And, and the water was rising up and down. And, and it was very scary. And the wife came over to the naval officer and grabbed her arm and uh, grabbed the, the naval officer's arm and said he was so calm, cool, and collective. And she was so scared and frightened. And she said, how in the world can you be so calm in this storm? The naval officer reached and grabbed his sword, pulled the sword out of the sheath and showed it to her and said, are you afraid of me with this sword? Without hesitation, the wife said, no, I'm not. He said, why? She said, because I know you love me and you're not going to hurt me. And he said, that's why I'm not afraid of God. See, he holds the wind in the palm of his hand and the water in the hollow of his hand. And I know he loves me. So no, I'm not afraid of the sword because I know who holds the sword. Amen. I'm sorry that I wasn't very long today. This is going to be a very short message, very out of, out of character for me. I time this at 45 minutes and I'm almost done right now. Sometimes the Lord will do what the Lord does. When we were born, we didn't choose our fathers. We didn't. However, after we were born, we can choose our second father. See, we were born with a wicked worldly father called Satan. John 8, 44 says, Ye are your father the devil. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. I was placed in God's goodness in my physical family. I'm very thankful for the family I have. I have a great family. And I'm thankful that God placed me in this family that I have. But you know what? I got to choose my spiritual family. I got to choose my spiritual father. I got to choose my spiritual brothers and sisters. I got to choose my spiritual family. 2 Corinthians 6.18 And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Our prayer is that if you don't know God as your heavenly father, that you make that decision today. Psalm 106, 48, and I'll close with this. Blessed be the Lord God from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say amen. Praise ye the Lord.